As we turn now to study God's word, let's pause for a moment together in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we come to you needy, desperate for your help. We cannot apply your truth. We cannot make sense of it without the enabling and anointing of your spirit. So may you make your word come alive to us and make us come alive through your word, that our lives would be lived to your glory, that we would take your message and make it known by example and by our speaking, the good news of Jesus Christ to a needy world, to the glory of his name we pray. Amen. As with all of Paul's letters here in Galatians, we reach a point, a significant point of transition. And now in chapter 5, we discover that the apostle is moving forward from an argument for grace to teaching on the application of grace. In the text read for us by Brian, we have this great headline statement, Galatians 5 verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to yoke of slavery. This is indeed a, a summary statement of the entire letter. For freedom, Christ has set us free. So we need to know what freedom is, how we might lose it, and how to ensure that we keep it. So let's think first, what is our freedom? Well, it is freedom through grace. The freedom of which Paul is writing here is is about our, our purpose. It's freedom to be the person that God has designed you to be, that you might know and fulfill his great purpose for your life. It's about our past. It's the freedom that, that deals with your past as you come to experience forgiveness and relief from the guilt and shame of sin. It is about our pressure. It's the freedom of laying down the heavy burden of the pressure of trying to please God and man through your good works, through law, obedience and religious ritual. And it's about our pleasure. It's the freedom to know God, to love him and to serve him with joy. Now that's far from a comprehensive list, but it is in part what Paul means when he writes of freedom. Paradoxically, to gain such freedom means that we must allow ourselves to become enslaved, enslaved to God's will and his good purposes for us. Phillips Brooks was the writer of the familiar hymn, A Song at Christmas, O Little Town of Bethlehem. He lived from 1835 to 1893 and he said this, No man in this world attains to freedom from any slavery, except by entrance into some higher servitude. There is no such thing as an entirely free man conceivable. Or as Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote in his classic book, The Cost of Discipleship. The demand for absolute liberty brings men to the depths of slavery. Put it another way, true freedom is experienced as we respond positively to the beautiful invitation of Jesus found in Matthew 11 that we read at the start of our service, verses 28 to 30. 
There Jesus says, come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There is a yoke that we must bear. And either it will be the crushing yoke of, of slavery in pursuit of self-salvation, or it will be the easy yoke of the Saviour. And Paul implores us not to get this wrong, not to end up bearing the wrong yoke. Let me illustrate what it means to bear the yoke that Christ offers to us. For children growing up, the pursuit of maturity is marked by a journey to independence. We delight when our children start to take their first steps on their own. It's great to watch them being able to feed themselves and eat their own meals. And there's a great triumphant day when they finally learn to use the bathroom on their own. These are milestones to maturity, the journey to independence. But in the spiritual life, the pursuit of maturity is the very opposite. It's not marked by increasing independence, but by a, a constant growth in God dependence. If you'll excuse this rather lengthy quote, it's, it's a great quote. It's from John Stott's little book, The Contemporary Christian. He wrote there, True love places constraints on the lover, for love is essentially self-giving. And this brings us to a startling Christian paradox. True freedom is freedom to be my true self, as God made me and meant me to be. And God made me for loving. But loving is giving, self-giving. Therefore, in order to be myself, I have to deny myself and give myself. In order to be free, I have to serve. In order to live, I have to die to my own self-centeredness. In order to find myself, I have to lose myself in loving. True freedom is, then, the exact opposite of what many people think. It is not freedom from all responsibility to God and others. In order to live for myself, this is bondage to my own self-centeredness. Instead, True freedom is freedom from my silly little self in order to live responsibly in love for God and for others, end quote. This is true freedom, freedom through grace, living in daily momentary dependence upon and love for God. How then might we lose this? falling away from grace. We read on Galatians 5 verses 2 to 4. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. Christ's purpose for you is to experience 
freedom, but clearly it can be lost. And Paul's warning to the Galatians is this, that they must stand firm, but if they feel, they can fall away. The discussions at the Council of Jerusalem, an event which was so crucial for the future of the young church, centered around this matter of circumcision. We read in Acts chapter 15, verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Hopefully you'll realize from our study thus far in Galatians that this is not the truth. We know that the gospel message, simply put, is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It is grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone that saves. And so it was that, that Peter stood up on that day in Jerusalem and said, Acts 15 verses 10 and 11. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they, that is the Gentiles, will. As Peter does in Jerusalem, so Paul does here. They defend the purity of the gospel and fought to keep it free from the additions of men. This was a dangerous, a decisive moment. It could have gone badly wrong for the young church, except for the guarding and guiding hand of God. Let me illustrate a frivolous illustration, but hopefully helpful. For my 21st birthday, my then girlfriend, now wife, knitted me a pullover. She spent endless hours of hard work in producing this beautiful gift for me. However, history would have been rewritten if I had done either one of two foolish things. Firstly, if I, on receipt of the gift, had a recent in my pocket and pulled out a fiver and said to Liz, thanks very much, I, I really appreciate the effort. That wouldn't have gone well. Trying to pay somebody back for a sacrificial gift of love is deeply insulting to them. But secondly, worse still, I could have started to unravel to rip out the wool of his sleeve and suggest to Liz that I believe that I could actually do a better job of finishing off the garment myself. Either or both of these choices would not have ended well for me. We must understand, it's simply not possible to receive the free gift of salvation through faith in Christ and in so doing, admit and acknowledge yourself as incapable of saving yourself. And then from that point on, choosing circumcision or any other religious ritual or rule keeping, thus using these means to save yourself. When such a, a wondrous free gift of salvation is received, won for you at such a cost, you cannot buy it, you cannot better it, you just receive it and revel in it. A decisive either or choice must be made. Grace or law, Christ or circumcision, it cannot be both, it cannot be a mixture. 
Most of you will have been through those doors at airports, which have those signs which tell you once you exit through this door, there is no return. And every time I see that message, it sends a little chill down my spine. I always pause to think to myself, am I sure I want to take this step? Because if I do, there'll be no going back. So we must think very carefully. What can we lose? What does it mean to fall away from grace? Is Paul saying that we can lose our salvation through our bad choices? Well, if that were possible, we'd all be damned. John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Saving faith secures a person's escape from perishing and gives to them eternal life, which, by definition, cannot be temporary. You can't have eternal life and then not have it. Let's remind ourselves of the gospel truth. Just as our deeds cannot save us, so our foolish choices cannot cause us to lose our salvation. Paul is not suggesting that these Galatians have lost their salvation, when at the same time he calls them brothers and he urges them to make their approach to one they can call Abba Father. In this week's Bible study, I used a quotation from Warren Wiersbe. Let me repeat a little bit of it. Wiersbe writes, Sin in the life of the believer breaks fellowship but does not destroy sonship. A true Christian is always accepted even when he is not acceptable. What then do we lose if not our salvation? Well, we lose our freedom as defined earlier. We lose our purpose. Our past returns to haunt us. That pressure builds up of doing everything to keep on the right side of God and it crushes us. And thus we lose our pleasure in serving him. In his commentary on Galatians, Todd Wilson writes, We try to do it all ourselves. We will be left to fend for ourselves. We won't have Christ's blood. We won't have Christ's life. We won't have Christ's grace. All we'll have is our sinful, silly little dissatisfied self, which isn't all that much comfort. So we've considered what freedom is, thought about how we might lose it. Finally, how then can we be sure to keep it? That's faith working through love. Galatians 5, 5 and 6. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Paul here writes about the hope of righteousness. What does he mean? Well, in the New Testament, hope is a word that we can misunderstand. In the English language, it's an indication of a degree of uncertainty. I hope it's going to be a dry day tomorrow for our barbecue. That implies that I very much doubt that it will. But in Greek, it's much more certain, much more secure. It says, I can expect it to be dry tomorrow. 
because our faith rests in Jesus Christ, secure in his gift of righteousness. We don't work for our future salvation. We wait for it with eager anticipation. This is our hope. This is our expectation. And as we conclude, we will see that there is something that doesn't count and there's something that does count. And Paul tells us that circumcision, although it pursued, can cause us to lose our experience of freedom. Ultimately, it doesn't count for anything. But if religious ritual doesn't count, what then does? And Paul tells us it is faith working through love. The Westminster Confession of Faith states in chapter 2, or chapter 11, paragraph 2, faith thus receiving and resting on Christ and his righteousness is the only means of justification. In the person justified, however, it is always accompanied by all the other saving graces and is not a dead faith, but works by love. Faith works by love. Jesus said in, in John 14 and verse 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Not you must keep my commandments, but you will keep them. Our obedience, our participation, participation in religious acts and going to church and giving to church or whatever, these do not alter our relationship with God, nor do they affect the righteousness received from and which rests alone upon Christ. But these things are evidence of faith working through love, and they give testimony to the genuineness of the saving faith we profess. So when your faith rests securely in Christ's finished work. You are free to live in love, to give in love, to go in love, to serve in love. You, you live with a love that, as 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is what we must know. This wonderful, saving faith, received as a free gift from Jesus Christ, must work itself out of our lives in amazing acts of love, as Christ would strengthen us to the honour of his name. Let's pray together. Father, teach us more and more of what we ought to be, what we are free in you to be. You've made us that we would know this great freedom. You've made us that free from the shackles of self-salvation, resting in your righteousness alone. We can live vibrant lives of love to your glory. Forgive us, Lord, if we try to sort ourselves out. Forgive us, Lord, if we fly solo and don't live in momentary dependence upon you. Help us to mature in faith. And for that faith to be evident in works of love that bless those around us and which honour your name. For we ask and pray all this through Christ our Lord. Amen.